0: Well, it's great to be back again this Sunday. For those who were not here last week, my name is David Ratton and uh, I am your guest speaker for four weeks through January, which is a real uh, privilege. Uh, don't often get to speak more than once as a guest speaker somewhere, so to have four weeks in a row <laughs> is really great. Now, Julie and I have six children and um, wh- one of our children... Uh, Bethany and her husband and, and their little ones uh, last week moved to Bensdale, So this week Julie's uh, helping in Bensdale to uh, help them settle in. Next week our youngest daughter Abby and her husband are moving to Canberra uh, where he's taking up a job. So um, we'll be up, uh, she'll be up there uh, next week. So it's been a, a very busy January for us and uh, a sad one in the sense that our children seem to be all... Leaving, ...leaving Melbourne. I, I don't take it personally, but uh, these things sometimes happen. Just before Christmas, two days before Christmas, the, the uh, second youngest daughter, Liesl, got married. So would you like to see some photos from the wedding? Would you? Okay, is that okay? Well, well I've got a few. There's a couple of hundred here, so we'll, we'll just quickly move through. We'll, get, we'll have a look at the first one, Stephen. And this is Liesl and her husband, uh, Nathan... Uh Liesl works at a place called Nullumboy, which is in the Northern Territory, at a, at a, a school up, up there. Um, when she moved up there two years ago, I said, Lord, how will she ever find a husband in remote Northern Territory? <clears throat> well, you know, God is a faithful God, and she connected via uh, a, a common friend with Nathan. He's a beautiful Christian young man. He's now moved up to Nullumboy to Get a job as an electrician up there, which is great. And uh, they're on their honeymoon at the moment. So that was uh, two days before Christmas. The next photo shows all my children, and uh, they are at the wedding. So they are our four daughters and two sons, uh, with of course Nathan. And then I think the, th- the final photo is a photo of our family, and uh, this is all uh, our our daughters and sons and their partners and grandchildren and then my mum and dad are tucked in there somewhere too and uh, we're all, we're all uh, heading up to, or my brothers and sisters and I are heading to New South Wales in four weeks to um, celebrate my mother's 90th birthday so that's going to be exciting too. Uh, I could go on, I, I, <laughs> I love talking about my family, I, I, um, when people hear we have six children they often assume that I'm, I'm some sort of expert at child raising. And, and I come back with a, a quote that I read years ago and it's true. It was Lord Rochester in 1675 and this is the quote. He said, before I was married I had six theories about raising children. Now I have six children and no theories. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the one that I've taken on board. Uh, but look, I've got a sermon to preach so let's get started. Um, I read this years ago, and uh, see what you think about it. I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. I am not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Now, that you, this will do your head in, okay? So we're going to take that slide down. But I, I want to ask the question, where... Do we get our sense of self? Where does our self-identity come from? And why is it that so many in our society have a negative self-image and a low self-esteem? Why do we spend our lives trying to impress others or to meet the expectations of others? The truth is our sense of self and of our identity is so often driven by the way we think others perceive us and what we think they expect from us. As a society, we are wealthier and healthier than at any time in our history, and yet so many struggle with deep-seated anxiety and fears around who they are and what others think of them. Our current teaching series is titled Snapshots, Snapshots from the life of Jesus, and we're looking at some familiar stories from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. However, this is not a series where we're simply uh, reading about how Jesus lived his life. This series is encouraging each of us to take seriously the challenge to our uh, to live our lives following his example. You see, you cannot read the Gospels without being struck by the secure sense of identity that Jesus had. He seemed totally unfazed by what people thought about him and unaffected by the expectations that they placed on him. And if we can follow the example of Jesus in this area of our lives, then we could find it actually life transforming. Last Sunday we looked at the baptism of Jesus. This took place before he had any followers, uh, before he had made a name for himself. But in obedience, Jesus chose to be baptised. And it was when he came up out of the waters of baptism that he heard the words that would define his life and his ministry. They were the words of his father, this is my son whom I love with him and I am well pleased. Jesus' identity was deeply grounded in his understanding that he was the son of his heavenly father and that he was the beloved of God. Jesus was about to embark upon a tumultuous three-year ministry. It would be three years of being confronted with people's expectations. Everyone had expectations for Jesus, what he should do, who he should be, a teacher, a healer, a leader, a Messiah. And as time unfolded, some people would adore him, others would revile him. Some would try to take him by force and make him their king. Others would take him by force and nail him to a cross. And as we follow Jesus through these eventful three years, one thing becomes crystal clear. His identity would not be determined by people's expectations. Rather his identity, as I said before, was deeply grounded in his understanding that he was a child of God, loved, that he was in fact the beloved of God. This series is challenging each of us to follow the example of Jesus in discovering our identity and sense of self. In Him, that's my challenge to you and to me. So today we're looking at what happened to Jesus immediately following his baptism. Matthew chapter four. We read. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. I love the sort of understated nature of the Bible. You know, he hasn't eaten anything for forty days. Forty, he's starving. And he's vulnerable. Uh, He's he's weak physically and vulnerable at every level. And Jesus, we read, is subject to three temptations, each of them attacking his sense of identity. In verse 3, we begin, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This was the temptation to believe that I am what I do. I am what I do. If you are the Son of God, Jesus, show us what you can do. Jesus, you are what you do, so prove to us that you are the Son of God. You know you want to. You you are starving. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus answered, verse 4, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, we need to resist the temptation to believe that we are what we do and that our worth is somehow linked to our performance. This is not easy because our world operates rewarding activity and performance. Study hard, you get good marks. Work hard, you get a promotion. Score runs, you'll stay in the team. It's the way our world operates. If you perform, then you succeed. If you don't perform, then you fail the exam. You don't get the promotion. You get dropped from the team. Ours is a performance-based society. And there's nothing wrong with studying hard or working hard or being an excellent sports person. In and of themselves, these are good things. However... When our sense of identity and worth becomes dependent on our performance, how we act, then, friends, we are headed for a fall. And Jesus' sense of identity was not going to be based on what he could do, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just before this temptation, remember the words he'd heard from his father? This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus' identity and self worth were based on this deep assurance he had that he was the Son of God who loved him and was pleased with him. And we would do well to follow the example of Jesus by understanding that our identity needs to be based not in what we do, but in the reality that we are a child of the living God, loved, accepted. And forgiven, and I love I love the way David, during that song earlier in the service, you talked about a little child running, and jumping into the arms of the father. You know that that almost sounds a bit irreverent, doesn't it? it? It almost sounds a little bit too familiar, and yet let me tell you that is a biblical reality, that we have a loving heavenly Father, who is fond of us, so fond of us wants to embrace us and love us in spite of who we are we know we are and friends if your identity can be found not not in how well you perform but in the reality that you're a child of the living God love dearly then then you're a long way to having a a self-awareness and self-esteem that is based in the right place well in verse 5 we read about the second temptation Jesus faced the temptation to believe that I am what others think. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Go on, Jesus, impress them. You throw yourself off this temple. You know your father will not allow any harm to come to you. It will be an amazing miracle. People will be impressed and they will give you the due that that, that, that uh, you deserve. The temptation to believe that I am what others think is a very real temptation. It's a very human temptation. Why do we care so much about what other people think? Think of us. Our self-image soars with a compliment and is devastated by a criticism. This is part of the human condition. And if we're not careful, we can spend our whole lives trying to impress those around us so that they will like us, so that they will think well of us, and so that they will accept us. And there's nothing wrong with trying to please the important people in our lives, trying to make them proud of us. But it is soul-destroying to spend your life desperately trying to impress others and constantly needing the approval of others. Jesus was not going to be defined uh, by what other people thought. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He made it clear that there was only one person opinion that mattered to him and that was the opinion of his heavenly father. And once again Jesus' identity and self-worth were based on this deep abiding assurance he had that he was the son of God who, who loved him and who was pleased with him. And we would do well again to follow the example of Jesus by understanding that our identity needs to be based not in what others think about us, but by what God does think about us. We're loved. heard years ago someone wrote that God has a brag book with your photo in it. And again, I, I was a little bit offended by that. It sounded a little bit too familiar. And I think something within me was too insecure to accept that that could possibly be true. But it's a biblical truth that God is fond of you, very fond of you. He loves you. So I'm telling you, God has a brag book with your photo in it. And when your identity is based on how God sees you rather than the way you think others might perceive you, then you can square your shoulders and stand up straight and know that you are a child of the King himself. You know how... Uh, culture is a culture that that uh, just encourages us to believe that what other people think is is actually the most important thing. Again, I want to encourage you with the reality that that is just not true. Well, in verses eight and nine, we come to the third temptation of Jesus. This is the temptation to believe that I am what I possess. Matthew four verses eight and nine. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Now we need to remember again that Jesus has not even begun his ministry. No one is following him. He does not have a reputation. Clearly, he also has no possessions. He has come from Nazareth. He came from a Poor family anyway. But whatever possessions he had in Nazareth, he has left behind. He has no possessions. And the devil comes to him when he is weak and vulnerable, takes him to a mountaintop. Jesus, of all the wonders that you see, how much belongs to you? Not a cracker. Jesus, who do you think you are if you don't have anything to your name? You're a nobody. And the devil plays on the profound issues that are human of insecurity and the fear of not having enough or of not having enough of the right things. Our culture measures our success by what we possess. Marketers spend obscene amounts of money convincing us that our identities depend on us owning a particular product. If We don't have the right jeans or the right car or the right phone or the right superannuation package, then, then who are you and what are you? You're missing out. You're worth nothing. It's, it's, it's an incredible uh, truth, and I don't think I need to convince any of you that we live in this crazy world where possessions and wealth are held up as the be-all and the end-all. The temptation to believe that I am what I possess can be overwhelming in our society. The temptation feeds on our insecurity and fear that we will miss out and not be seen to be of value and of worth. And, of course, the irony is those people who have all the toys and have unlimited financial resources generally are some of the unhappiest people in our world. Isn't that surprising? Peter Scazzaro in his book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, makes this statement. My culture, family of origin and flesh tell me that only possessions and talents and applause from other people are sufficient for security. Now of course in and of themselves possessions are not a bad thing. Clothing, cars, homes... Savings, even toys, can be essential parts of our lives. However, the pursuit of these things contains the incredible danger that my identity, my sense of value, my sense of worth will be driven by what I possess or what I don't possess. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is such a profound response from Jesus. Jesus is tired, he's hungry, he's vulnerable, he's being offered the world. And don't for a moment think that this was not a a real temptation for Jesus. All he had to do for all of this to be his was to bow down and worship Satan, And Jesus responds by going back to the word of God. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus once again makes it very clear that his security was not going to be found in what he possessed, but rather in the reality that he was a loved son of the living God. His security and identity were found in worshipping the Lord his God. Listen, we live in a world where security and identity are based on possessions and it is possessions that are worshipped. Jesus models surrender of my will to the Father as the true anchor for who I am. So who do you worship? What what do you worship? Jesus put it bluntly on one occasion, Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, the temptation to believe that I am what I possess is powerful and pervasive in our world and sometimes in our lives. The fear of having uh, not having enough or not having enough of the, the, the right things is such a powerful force in our lives. If we're not careful, we can become a slave to that fear as we bow down and worship the gods of money and possessions. In the desert, Jesus counters the temptation with a declaration that he will worship only his Lord, his God. His identity and worth and security will be found in him alone. What a great example for each of us to follow. So here at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus confronts three powerful temptations. And I I believe each one of us here today can relate to some extent to each of them. The temptation to believe that I am what I do. The temptation to believe that I am what others think. The temptation to believe that I am what I possess. Well, Jesus is our example. An example worthy to follow as you discover that your identity and your security is found in the reality that you are the child of the living God, that you are beloved of God. that Nothing you can do can make him love you less. Nothing you can do can make him love you more because you are his beloved. I want to close today by encouraging you to make a statement of faith. This is a declaration of who you are in Christ. We'll just get this put up, Steve, in this next slide. And look look at these words. I am not what I do. I am not what others think about me. I am not what I possess. I am a child of God. That is who I am. If you're a believer in Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Saviour today, then that is a statement of faith that I invite you to share with me. We've already shared together the Lord's Prayer today. So what I'm going to do is actually ask you all to stand. Let's stand together. And I'm going to invite you um, to share with me as we together make this statement of faith. So let's read this together. I am not what I do. I am not what others think about me. I am not what I possess. I am a child of God. That is who I am. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. I, I love the way that in this church, every Sunday you have an opportunity to make a response. And you've been given a response card. We're going to take a few moments now. And uh, this is your opportunity to uh, think about which of these three temptations you need to deal with or resist today? Which one is strongest in your life? You know, that, that, that response card has a little place where you can write your name. Um, it's also a place where you don't need to write your name. I, I think sometimes when we respond to God, the prayer is from our heart to God and we, we don't need or want others to know. So feel free to leave your name off, uh, but write an honest prayer to God. Um, Lord, uh, dear God... And, and, and then just briefly talk about which temptation you need to deal with in your life at the moment.